Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey everyone, I have just finished having this conversation with Dr. Grace Lorden. We talk about everything from building resilience, building your dream career, unconscious bias in the workplace, to the pitfalls we all have in taking time off. I'm really excited for you to hear this conversation. It was so interesting to talk to someone who genuinely studies these things on a daily basis um, and who has the backing for, for a lot of the ideas that I wish I'd be able to scientifically prove. So it was really exciting to talk to her and I hope you enjoy the episode. My guest today is Dr. Grace Lorden, Associate Professor in Behavioural Science at the LSE and the author of the recently published Think Big, Take Small Steps and Build the Future You Want, which is all about how to create a framework that will move you towards your goals. Her academic writings have been published in international journals, and she currently advises the UK government as a board member on the Skills and Productivity Board. We need your help, Grace. Um, <laughs> I first met Grace when we were guests on the Going for Gold podcast by Women's Health, talking all things procrastination. I was fascinated by her take on these topics, and I am thrilled to have her on here today. Welcome, Grace. Thank you, Grace, for the most fantastic welcome. I really, I really, really appreciate it. Well, I'm very excited to have a kind of Grace Squared collaboration on this uh, from the science point of view um, from your side. And I know that when we spoke last time, we had a lot of overlap and a lot of kind of areas that we really wanted to talk about. And you are very much the brains, the science, the, the backing to all of this. So I'm really, really excited to be talking to you about this. So end of my monologue, we're going to go into some quick bio questions. Are you ready? Absolutely ready. Go for it. Okay. Reading or podcasts? Reading. Time blocking or winging it? Winging it. Checking emails throughout the day or setting alarms to check them just a few times? It's the second one, but I often fall into the first one. <laughs> don't we all, don't we all. <laughs> um, more or less than eight hours sleep? Less. Office or working from home? Working from home. Zoom or Teams? Zoom. You have just authored the incredible Think Big. How did you find the writing process in comparison to your kind of usual academic work? So I started off the writing process and I found it quite similar to my academic work. I took a, a summer to write it and I was really proud of my output. And then when I sent it into Penguin, they came back and said, you know, it's really wonderful, but it sounds like an academic book. You need to change that. <laughs> so the second part was really hard. Um, and they really wanted more stories, more storytelling. And I think that, yeah. that was the right decision. You know, as, as humans, we listen to stories and trying to figure out what were the stories that I could tell, what would land with the reader was tricky for me. And I did procrastinate a yeah. lot over what went into the book. So it was a bit torturous, but I will say that I enjoyed it in case someone from Penguin is listening. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, we obviously, we do share the same publishing house, but with, um, I kind of found, you know, if you can't make it accessible and if you can't make it something that people can fit into their lives when we're talking about people's lives, then I was like, oh, this makes complete sense because, you okay. know, I guess it should be that accessible and it should be something that we can all take from it. You know, if we all work, if we all have careers. Um, so it's, it's great to hear that you found the same thing. And it's the, it's the problem with academia, Grace, to be honest, is that, we, you know, we write things that are highly implementable but we don't often write them down in ways where people can actually are interested you know so we it, yeah and, and I and I think that skill in itself was a new skill that I was learning and it's always hard when you're learning a new skill hence the torture but now I'm glad I did it <laughs> <laughs> and do you think you'll take kind of part of that um I guess that storytelling slash that anecdotal bringing things down to earth do you think you'll bring that into the academic work at all or do you think that it kind of still needs to very much be cemented in this kind of say things as cleverly as they are. No, I do. And I think I think it's really important. So since I've written Think Big, I've written an article, you know, for the Financial Times. And I, and I and when, when I write, I write these one page summaries that people can understand. And I think what I learned from writing the book goes into that. So moving, yeah. moving away from boring to being a bit more attention grabbing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's boring, but I do think that within within kind of my time at university, my first like real baptism of fire was turning like was opening these like journals to be reading about things and being like, I do not understand a single thing. And then I was just always thinking, I was thinking like, how can I make this, you know, how can I make this something that I then translate into my own understanding and then back into complicated for my essays. So within Think Big, you use behavioral science to inform the kind of art of career building. I find this incredibly interesting and I've read bits of the book and I think it is absolutely fantastic. I was wondering if you could share with us three takeaway top tips regarding how to build kind of your own successful career. I'm aware it's a huge question, but your, your big headlines on building that successful career for you, what would they be? So I think the first thing is when we're choosing what we want to do with our lives to move away from kind of occupational titles and lifestyles and really think about what are the things that we like to do. So what are the activities that we like to do? And then figuring out how to get the skills so you can do more of those activities. So I think that's the first the first part. I think the second is time management, which is what we spent a lot of time talking about on the Women's Health uh, podcast. But really, in order to do something that's great and in order to kind of move yourself forward in a big way, you do have to dedicate time to it. There's no way around it. And some of it is going to be unpleasant. So figuring out where that time will come from and making a plan that you stick to, which I think behavioral science can really, really help. And then I think the, yeah. th and the third part is resilience, Grace, to be honest, that you have to hone resilience. If you're going to step outside your comfort zone and do something that's really exciting, that's going to push you forward, you're also going to fail. You're going to have criticism. Um, it's going to be a difficult path at times. And being resilient so your mental health and your well-being doesn't suffer is really important. So investing in that. And, and I just, so I've got two questions based on that. One of them is a bit of a kind of I guess within what I talk about a little bit in working hard, hardly working, but also what you talk about in terms of kind of resilience and also just having to do things you don't like sometimes. Do you think that there's been a slight glamorization of the idea that like everything's going to be great when you find a job you love and it's all going to be just, I guess, you know, you never work a day in your life when you love your job and all of these types of things. Do you think that's kind of been exacerbated by things like social media and only being able to see highlight reels of people's people's kind of careers? Yes, absolutely. So I think social media for careers 
is what fairy tales was for relationship building, you know, 20 years ago. We now have this idea that we'll find a job, we'll fall in love, it will be happily ever after. And the passion is going to be, you know, every day we're going to wake up and it's going to be exciting. And and that isn't the reality. Um, And I think kind of moving away from that and really thinking about, in the same way you would think about a relationship, what does good look like? Actually, it's something that brings you joy every day that you're not stressed to be kind of taking part in it. And when there is stress, you can actually see the reward. Um, yeah. And, 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 and figuring that out for yourself, which is highly personal, I think. So, so do you think there are tools that we can have kind of individually to bring our idea of career and what like success is away from what we see other people doing and within ourselves? Are there th- key things that you think we can kind of do on a daily basis or when we're consuming social media in order to, I guess, you know, I have this view that success is, unless you bring success within yourself and unless you're able to kind of internalize it, then you're never going to achieve it. I think that's, I think that's right. So I think the first thing really is, is self-belief. And I think if you don't have self-belief, finding somebody who actually believes in you who push you forward is very important. And I think, you know, if you look at kids who've done extraordinary things, very often underneath that is, is, is a parent or a teacher person who pushed them forward when they were kids and they didn't necessarily have that direction. Um, but I think more than that, it really comes back to thinking, what do I enjoy doing on a day-to-day basis? So what are the activities that I could actually do more of? And figuring out what occupation would allow you to do that. And then taking the journey to get skilled so you can be credible in doing a job like that. Yeah, so it's kind of an element of like finding not necessarily these big passions, but these kind of like micro passions that you can implement into the everyday or you can, you know, you'll just acknowledge these are the best parts of my day. The other things are the kind of delayed gratification that I need to do in order to make the other part of this kind of passion, I guess, come true. Absolutely. And I think if you're somebody who, who's, who's who's motivated by money and that's, that's where your values lie, getting real with the fact that to actually earn money takes an awful lot of work there's going to be a big uphill to that if you're somebody who really wants to spend time with people think about okay what are the occupations that will allow me to spend more more time with people but rather than looking yeah. at instagram i think go and meet people who actually do those jobs so if you're stumbling in direction ask them what do you what is a day-to-day you know if i met you and i was interested in becoming an entrepreneur i would say what 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 do you do every single day and some of it mm-hmm. i'm going to find exciting and i bet you some of it is really really boring and you find tedious <laughs> And getting real with whether I can do that is a very important part of life. Yeah, and I think there's part of that as well that we need to be able to do ourselves too. You know, we need to be able to look at other people and their jobs and everything. And we need to kind of be able to assume that there's, for every 10 good things, there's also 10 shit things. Otherwise, it's really hard to then... you know, because you can't always ask someone like, what are the worst parts of your job? You know, that's one of the things I really want to do through this podcast to really get that realistic view. But you you can't always do that. You kind of sometimes just have, you have to consume with, I guess, like a, a filter, um, <laughs> the good type of filter in order to, you know, not consume all of it at face level, even though you can't see the other things. Absolutely. I agree with that. And how, how do you think we can build resilience? So I think that there's a number of ways and, you know, in, in, in Think Big, I, I think I give 10 different ones. So I'll give you two now. Uh, I, you might want to give me your reaction to them. So I think the first is that as human beings, we know that we pay much more attention to the things that we lose as opposed to what we actually gain. So that basically means if I have an encounter with a colleague that's very pleasant or if somebody tells me I've done a fantastic job, I tend to ignore that. But if I have a really bad encounter and someone tells me that I did a shit job, I tend to really internalize that. And I have a really, really bad day over it. So one of the simplest things that you can actually do in order to make yourself more resilient or rather not 
deplete your resilience reserves is really focus in on the things that are actually have gone well for yourself in your life and mm-hmm. kind of disengage from the things that actually go negative. So some of these kind of very small negative events that hold people back, it's very, very easy if you put focus on them to stop that happening. Um, and it sounds, you know, as soon as I say it, people will say, okay, yeah, if my colleague is rude to me, it really gets me down and I don't pay attention to compliments. Well, start writing them, yeah. then start writing them down. Particularly if you suffer from self-belief, do start writing them down. So I think that's kind of the first, I, I think that's the first part. And, you know, we talked in the beginning about the idea of academic evidence. Everything suggests that people who practice gratitude are much more resilient, but equally everything suggests that people who draw attention to the small wins also become Mm. also become much more resilient yeah I love that I think one of the things that I actually realized when I was writing working hard was the fact that I I have loved this idea of gratitudes and I love this idea you know I really got into it in kind of summer last year of writing these things down and then I was like I instantly had that kind of like knee-jerk reaction of it being a waste of time just because it's one of those like buzzwords that we're told always to do online or you know that will benefit from this that and the other and then actually when I looked into it I found it really interesting looking at the actual hormone release of when you're doing that and when you're feeling grateful and all of that and it's so crazy because then as soon as I felt that as soon as like that kind of happened and I was able to register the research behind it I was able to really embrace the actual you know the effect of it do you do you know I mean this might be kind of different to your area do you know about the the science of gratitudes and what kind of falls behind that yeah so I mean the what you're basically describing is this this physiological response as well that you you know you you get this kind of um, hormone release as you do this kind of day by day I will say that the the research that you're actually referring to is very short term so I don't know of any study that's followed people for a very very long time but what we Mm. do know is for people who keep time journals and talk about their mood using instruments that people will use to gauge depression, anxiety and other ways of well-being. If they practice gratitude every single evening, even if it's only for a short number of minutes, you do see improvements in their well-being that go beyond any other kind of explanation. Um, And if you think about it from an individual perspective, if anybody is listening and they practice it, they will know very soon whether it's working for them. And I think that's really important Mm. that if you take, if you for two weeks try at six o'clock to think about the good things that actually happened in your day and draw your attention to them and then assess your own mood and figure out whether or not you ended up in a better mood because of it. It it is actually something worth doing. If it's not, you just throw it away as, as some bad advice that you heard in a podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really important thing to mention as well, because, um, you know, it comes back to that filtering system that we all need to have when consuming things online, especially because you're, you know, you're essentially, you know, it's not as serious as self-medicating, but you are self-medicating in terms of like what you're prescribing yourself to do to, you know, whether it's gratitudes, whether it's writing a journal, whether it's all of these things. And, And one of the most important things I think we can all build is a sort of not just a filtering system, for what we consume but also this idea that actually the context cannot be collapsed enough online in order for it to always apply to you so being able to actually develop something that means that you can try things it doesn't work and move on and that not being you you know because different things work for everyone and I think when things are made trendy that can be a particular problem and what I really didn't want as well um, from kind of my tips was for people to think like oh that doesn't work for me and therefore either it doesn't work completely or therefore like I'm a lost cause or whatever it's so subjective to each person what can help you be more productive 
productive? What can help you feel more fulfilled? All of these various different things. And I think the challenge, Grace, is, you know, so you, you've probably done a lot of podcasts and kind of uh, interviews now. And there's always the tendency to try to push people to absolute statements. This works. This doesn't work. But of course, yeah. all of the evidence has a distribution and there's different types of people in there. And, you know, even the science has kind of pushed the idea that there is this silver bullet. And I think it's important to remind yourselves that all of these studies are done where this it works for some people and it doesn't work for others and the best person to know if it's working is yourself the person who's actually trying it out I, I completely agree and I think that that's something that all of us can you know you can't absorb advice without understanding that not all advice will work for you yeah. and I'm sure that's something that you definitely want to kind of get in there whenever you're doing anything because also I mean as soon as people see science you know as I was saying as soon as I saw the scientific backing for gratitudes I was like okay great it must work um, and in order for people to kind of consume uh, responsibly being able to say, okay, you know, this might work, this might not work, even if it's scientifically proven for, you know, some people, this, that, and the other. Um, I'd like to talk about uh, the inclusion initiative. I am, I've read up on what you've done and, um, you know, you're the founding director of this inclusion initiative, and I'd love to hear more about what it entails, um, both as a job and also the initiative and what it kind of seeks to do. Could you tell us more, firstly, about what it does? And then I'm going to ask you some more questions because I'm, I'm really, really interested in it. And I think what you are doing with it is unbelievable. Thank you. So, I mean, the Inclusion Initiative was born for me doing work with companies, mainly um, kind of hedge funds um, who were t deciding on portfolios and really figuring out that actually if you had different opinions in the room, you ended up being much more successful. So the idea mm -hmm. behind the Inclusion Initiative is really to bring that thinking into firms. So the idea that actually if you have a group of people who are around a table, you should be listening to all of them, but also noticing who's missing. So who, what type of voices are actually missing from the table can, can help me? Um, so we, we're going to do three things. So the first is do um, what I call interventions inside in firms where we change something and we look to see whether or not it worked, A, to improve inclusivity, but B, to improve the business. Um, the second thing we're going to do is work out in the real world. So really talking to people and doing experiments in schools um, and with, with certain groups in society to figure out how we can make them more included. And the last, which I'm really excited about, is we're going to measure inclusion using an index um, outside the firm. So if anyone who's listening who invests, they'll know that you actually use indexes often yeah. to decide who's worth investing in and who isn't. So what we'll end up doing is having an index that points people towards inclusive firms. Again, it sounds warm and fuzzy, but firms that actually have higher levels of inclusion have more profits. Yeah. They've lower behavioral risk and they're more creative. So yeah, it's it's that's so it's exciting. Sorry, you can. It's exciting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I think it's fascinating, and I also think you know, it is it's an incredibly constructive angle in terms of you know being able to measure it, being able to not just put it in place, but also show what the you know the, there is a highly moral case for all of it, and also being able to put it in place in terms of the business case as well. In terms of, you know, I work, for example, on something like sustainability, and sometimes you can convince people via the moral standpoint. Often you have to convince them via the business standpoint. So by saying, you know, why, why CSR is great for your business and why it's going to do this, that and the other to improve your investment, to improve your interest, to improve all of these things. 
I guess I guess there probably the most recent newer indexes um, in that case would probably be CSR. Is that right in terms of now bringing something like that in? Yeah, I mean, so the well, the, the interesting thing about the environmental indexes is that there's a lot of them and they don't overlap that well. So even mm. though they're trendy, we don't yet know how to measure environmental impacts incredibly, incredibly well. But we do know that companies who embrace being socially responsible do tend to actually do much better than companies that don't. So I think that there's a challenge to measure it at the macro level. At the micro level, we know that startups actually that are, that are more socially responsible are a better bet than ones that aren't. Yeah, absolutely. And could you tell us a bit more about, I know, huge topic, but could you tell us some some your kind of interest in unconscious bias and how that's kind of come into play within this initiative? Yes. I mean, what, what interests me about human beings is that we think that we're acting deliberately all the time. And about 80 to 90 percent of the time, we're using what's known as a fast brain where we're on autopilot and we're reacting and we're not really paying too much attention to um, what's going on around us. And what started interesting, in, so if you look at behavioural science, then there's lots of experiments to show this really matters in small stakes decisions. And what I really am interested in is looking to see when this actually matters for big uh, big decisions. Who gets hired? Who gets promoted? Who gets funding when they actually go um, looking for venture funding? Um, you know, it might interest you to know that there's actually evidence to show that depending on where I am in the queue for venture funding, I'm much more likely to get it and not get it. That has nothing at all to do with the product or the company. It has to do with the time well, of the day, whether I'm meeting the people first, whether I'm meeting them last and whether they're hungry, bizarrely. Um so if you so so I'll always bring food to pictures. Always then. bring food. Always bring <laughs> snacks, and it also makes you memorable, right? So bring good snacks if you're, if you're going to bring anything. Um, and that's essentially how we integrate it into the inclusion initiative. We kind of say, look, if people are going to be on autopilot, not paying attention eighty to ninety percent of the time, how can we interrupt their thoughts when they're making big decisions and make sure they have competitive edges compared to people who just carry on on autopilot? Would you say there are areas of that then that people obviously unconscious bias is very much the the people fighting it or the people trying to work along you know alongside or you know go for funding when they know there is unconscious bias against them do you think there are things that those people can do not that the blame is on them and not that it should be them that change changes but for example like a little one like bring food um <laughs> but you know beyond that do you think there are things that you can do um when you know there might be that bias against you in order to improve your chances yes so i mean the the obvious advice is really know your stuff right when you go in so whatever mm. question is thrown at you you want to be seen to be confident but i think the second then is that there is evidence to suggest that you can tip the odds in your favor by doing Doing things like choosing your position and asking for a particular place. So if I know that I'm the best, I should go first. So I, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm going to be much more memorable, but I have to be certain that I'm the best. If I think it's a close competition and there's lots of other great people, you want to go last because you're much more memorable. The person who's seen last in the day is much more memorable. You definitely, you know, we, we joked about it, but you definitely do want to avoid lunchtime when people are hungry and also after lunch when people aren't necessarily paying attention, which is, which is really, really important. Um, the other thing is, you know, there's a, a bias called the peak end effect, which really tells us that when we're having a conversation with people, we're not really listening we remember two things we remember the best moment of the presentation and we also remember the end effect of the presentation so anyone who's learned to pitch will learn kind of three things firstly you tell a really good story in the beginning because narrative works better than data secondly 
around the middle of your pitch or kind of toward, uh, kind of a little bit towards the end, you want to have your highest moment. So what's the biggest impact that you want people to take away and stressing that they should remember it. And then the end part is you want to be memorable in your exit. And if you get those three things right, you will tip your odds in the favour compared to somebody who didn't bother to come up with a good story compared to somebody who didn't bother to give a good ending. That's so interesting. And do you find, I know that you work with, um, you work on the kind of corporate side of trying to implement the changes in these unconscious biases. Do you, do you ever work with people in terms of that type of, you know, coaching, how to pitch better, how to do any of that? Or are there places that you think people can go to in order to improve their, their chances when they know that the odds aren't in their favour? So I've done the other side of it more where I sit with people who are thinking about giving out money and try to try to kind of disentangle the guff, which is the storytelling from the actual particulars that are that are in the meeting and pointing that out. Um, but I have done a little bit of coaching with entrepreneurs at the LSC. We have a thing called LSC Generate, where our students basically have kind of an incubator style model where they have uh, startups and really kind of getting them to think about, OK, assuming that everything else is in play and you and you're really, really competent. What are the kind of small tips and tricks that you can do in order to make sure that you're going to tip the odds in your favor? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Yeah, no, I think that's incredibly interesting. Um, and I want to talk to you about work and what that's like for you. So let's get, let's get honest. If you could change one thing about your job, what would it be? Oh, bureaucracy and maybe marking of assignments in that order. So it's much slower to do anything in an academic institution than it is to do it in a business, right? So if you wanted something, if you want to do something today, Grace, you'll just make a decision and it, and it will happen. I probably have to fill out 10 different forms and go to about nine different committees. And I would love to get rid of that. It, it, it's, it's really a waste of time. I think it slows down progress. But marking is very tedious as well. Um, I love my students, but, you know, they especially if you have an assignment where it doesn't allow for creativity and you're just getting the same answers back from everybody when it's good. Just give everyone, give everyone an A. I I, I would love to. I would absolutely love to. You're welcome, Grace's (laughs) students. I've got you covered here. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that I, I, I've been talking recently with a lot of new um, senior staff on onboarding. And that's the one that we've been doing these things called personal user manuals and really decide, you know, sharing with people like what I like and what I don't like in order to work best with me. And mine on mine every time is like meetings that could have been an email. Do not even try. Do not come near me. And, and all of that. And it's and also, you know, it's, it's not always about just having something that shows what you've done. The best thing we can do is spend as much time doing it as possible and then just headlines that can kind of summarize that but kind of getting rid of that um, bureaucracy and I know you know I did a Q&A the other day asking people for their work problems and so many people said just like unnecessary amounts of meetings or yeah. forms or paperwork and all of that I know within academia it's kind of particular bureaucracy but I also think there's an area of business where it feels more legitimized if you have like a form that says something or a meeting that decides something rather than just a okay yeah let's do it it is so how do you how do you make sure your meetings don't end up being one hour of of pointlessness 
Well, first of all, I never set them for an hour. So the automatic <laughs> is um, the automatic is half an hour or 45 minutes. Um, and it completely depends. But I, what I really try and encourage is that feedback. So from, I think, you know, you can't just be an organization that says like, oh, we appreciate opinions at every level. You have to show you appreciate opinions at every level. So you have to c- cultivate a kind of culture whereby people can say, when I read out different sections on this, this, and this, it takes me two days to prepare for it, which is two days out of the week. And I'm just telling you what's happened. It would be much better if I do this. And I always encourage people to come with that feedback. However, I know that that's not always easy within, you know, other firms that there isn't so much flexibility. But I think one of the great things about where work is moving now is if we're concentrating on productivity and we're concentrating on being the most efficient and effective, then actually it's very much within your manager's interest, within your company's interest to get those things more streamlined. Um, it's It's always a work in progress, but for me, it's always been about encouraging feedback and also setting a precedence for no unnecessary red tape where possible. Transparency is an interesting one though, isn't it? Because if you think about it, if we trust our managers, we don't need transparency and we don't need the meetings because we're happy to leave our managers do what they're they're doing. So when you talk about that, I I imagine that you've built trust in your team. Right. So, well, you don't have to do the reporting, whereas in, in, in universities where there's different disciplines who don't trust each other, I think that might be the root of our problem. Yeah. Or or I feel like, you know, part of it may very well be the, the size we are. So, yeah. you know, there have been times where we've realized, OK, we're doing far too much of this. Let's scale back. Um, but actually just putting in kind of like standard operating procedures and frameworks that, that kind of say you just update this. It's five minute slot in every weekly managers meeting. And beyond that, you just get on with your work. Um, but definitely some of it will also be because there's the visibility throughout the organization. And maybe some of them will listen to this and think like, I can go, Grace, you have no idea. We need to stop the meetings um but that's kind of my overarching opinion on it fantastic no i agree with you pointless meetings is definitely one of my my problems as well (laughs) um so second question what is the hardest day you've ever had at work what happened and how did you get through it I mean, in honesty, when I, when I, because I, I knew you were going to ask me that question and I thought about it and it really is just when I have pointless meeting after pointless meeting after pointless meeting <laughs> and then I don't get through it. I mean, difficult problems where there's something to be resolved and, and the poop hits the fan. I'm actually quite, I'm actually quite okay with. I mean, I do get stressed and if you met me, you would say that I'm stressed, but I sleep well at night after those days. It is just the tediousness of actually coming home at night and realizing I got nothing done because I wasted it. Um, discussing something with people who wouldn't make a decision anyway. Um, So I've barely gotten through it. And and usually at the end, it's about watching something good on TV and having a glass of wine. You know, it's not... Yeah, but that but but and time wasting is absolutely my 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 biggest um my biggest regret in life. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I th- I think what you say actually about you know when when shit hits the fan and when you have to get through everything and you have to do this that and the other to you're in a complete crisis, isn't it so strange that we often come out of that feeling far more fulfilled than we do on the kind of regular day? That's one of my you know crises are the absolute worst but when you work with your team and you kind of sort things out and you've worked through it this way that way and everything I I think it might it must be because you're in your flow so it's a high challenge and but also like a high skill level you can get through it um but it always fascinates me because I kind of think like that should have been the worst day ever and yet I've come out of that thinking like 
I've got this. Yeah, it, it, and it gives you faith as well that you know the worst didn't happen. You 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 caught the ball before it dropped. So so those kind of challenges, I've had a few in recent years. Um, they definitely stress you out when you're in the moment, but it feels at least you you have control and you take action. Put me in a boring meeting where I have no control, and and that's definitely my worst day ever. <laughs> It's the worst feeling when you're just sitting there and, and, and wasting time. What would you say then to those people who who say, for example, you know, I feel so unproductive at work because either I'm not set enough work or because I spend a lot of my time in pointless meetings that shouldn't be done? I think if you don't feel stretched, you should start looking for new opportunities. And whether or not that's in your current job or outside your current job, I think it really is up to you to ask for them. I mean, there's a reason why you end up not feeling stretched at work. Um, and it might be you and it might be the manager, but at any time we can ask for more and we can ask for difference. Yeah. And I, when I read your book, it really reminded me of um, kind of the idea of job crafting, that you can take your current job and you can take your current um, life, if you like, and design your job in a way that really works for you. And I think actually people don't realize that they have that autonomy in lots of jobs that you might not not think otherwise. If you're in a corporate setting and you're rolling your eyes, you absolutely can craft your job, probably not to the same extent that Grace can craft her job because she's an entrepreneur and and has perfect freedom, but you still have scope for that and you should absolutely take it. Yeah, well, I think it's so interesting. It's such a difficult thing to thinking like, oh, I'm bored, I'm going to ask for more work because almost instantly you kind of regret it, but you regret it in a like, I'm being more fulfilled, but why the hell did I ask for more work? That's kind of how I've always felt so I you know I being completely honest I don't think my job when I worked at IBM was suited to me at all I felt like I could have been a machine all of these things and what when I felt kind of like I was the most insane was when I was going to heads of other departments and being like hello would like to do some more experience after hours or in this time or whatever and but actually that was the most fulfilling and that was what you know ended up I even spent some time in e-commerce and that was kind of what ended up getting to you know where where I am now but I think it is so true you know I always say you have a lot of the time more freedom than you think especially when it comes to asking for for more work or asking for different angles or say you know sitting down with your manager and saying I'm feeling slightly unfulfilled I think we could improve this system I think we could improve this or do I have your blessing to work on a pitch for this and I always kind of encourage that because that's also something that I would very much encourage um, at any of my organisations and the way you frame that actually is really interesting because it's, it's exactly the right way you shouldn't go and say I feel unfulfilled fix me yeah you, you said yeah. I feel I feel unfulfilled I think this could be changed this could be changed and uh, immediately you're giving a solution to the person who's sitting in front of you who's probably also feeling unfulfilled right so they're much more likely to help you out if you make it easy for them to help you out yeah absolutely we're going to move on to the hardly working section because it's important to talk about life outside of work both as a part of work and our working lives but also because you know we're all human beings and as soon as we start looking at ourselves as just like forms of human capital um, (laughs) then that's when it gets all very not fulfilling at all so I'm going to start with just three quick fire questions first things first Netflix or a walk um a walk after work, a cup of tea or a glass of wine? Glass of wine. Letting off steam, a workout or a night out? A night out. I wish it was a workout. Like that, would be, that would be much easier. <laughs> well, technically, a night out is kind of a workout if you move enough. That is true. That's my philosophy I like anyway, it. you know, as, 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 as the owner of some fitness companies, I do actually, you know, <laughs> condone the uh, night out for dancing. Um, so are you good at taking time off? This is not quick far anymore. <laughs> um, 
No, not really. And I and it is actually something that I have to be quite disciplined about. So I do take time off and I, I turn off my emails and I don't check them. And but it is a struggle. There there is something in me. And I think this is this is the problem actually where you find a job that you're really interested in, that it can spill over into all dimensions of your life. Um, but I think it's a battle worth, worth, worth fighting. I, I think it absolutely is. And I think it's something that also we all kind of expect to have learnt. And yeah. we all kind of think we're born with a kind of built-in rest area that we we can just activate and rest and actually I think one of the biggest things that I found is that the way I want to rest is always is not always the most productive form of rest and I don't mean that you know being productive by going on like an act, active rest day walk I mean you know what's actually going to recharge me and what's going to make me feel better in this moment I think it's I think it's one of those things that we actually need to learn from ourselves and we need to kind of almost take notes on and and develop and that's part of resilience, right? So if you figure out what recharges you when you have a bad time and you go do that when you're having a bad time, um, I think that that's probably the best, you know, that the, that's the best lessons that you can learn for your life. If you think about the three things, find a job you like, find a time to to invest in it and then figure out a way that you can stay charged. Yeah. And, and, and when you do take time off, what... What, do you have kind of hard and fast rules about what that looks like in terms of not accessing your emails or not doing this, that and the other? Or is it just improv? So I have, when I take time off, everything comes off my phone. So every alert to every social media, emails, even you can't ring me. So if I was going, if I, so I can ring you, but you can't ring me. It's a really weird thing. Oh, and that it, fills me with stress. It drives my family <laughs> absolutely crazy. So my dad will keep trying to ring me because he doesn't understand that I've actually turned the ringer off my phone. But yeah, it's, it's, it's the ultimate unplug. It really is. And I think it's, it's about kind of taking control. This is the time that I'm going to spend on things that I, that and, I like. And what about things like weekends? Do you, obviously that's a kind of middle ground between the, the proper taking time off and the, and the working. Um, how, how do you kind of get the most out of your weekends in order to recharge? A lot of times, I will be honest, at the moment, I'm not taking weekends. And I and, and, oh. and it's not a good thing because I can feel myself but. starting to, I can feel myself starting to burn out. I'm very disappointed in you. I know, I am. I am disappointed. I mean, I actually, if, I mean, if for people who read the book, I am extraordinarily flawed in, in, in every area. So <laughs> you should take your weekend and you should put fences around it, but everything just bleeds into it, particularly when you work with yeah. companies and they all work at the weekend. Um, but when things go right I stop working at eight o'clock on a Friday and then I start working again at eight o'clock on a Sunday and, oh I, ha- and I, have those two, I have those two days with nothing um essentially but think and, and do you find do you find when you take a proper 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 weekend compared to when you have like work seeping through that it actually improves your work the next week yes absolutely it does it does and I mean it, it's reminding yourself of that so you actually take the weekends I know. And it's so much easier said than done, isn't it? Because you think like, I, I mean, I know the rules. I think people people now always ask me, they're like, how did you achieve such a balance? And I'm thinking like, read all of these rules and then understand that I'm awful at taking my own <laughs> advice. So you, it's all, I know it all, but I'm, I'm not using it. You make a rod for your own back when you talk. I mean, in, in behavioral science, we always talk about kind of two types of people, naive people and sophisticated. And sophisticated are people who know about the biases, but actually sophisticated people are no better than the naive people at, at you know, putting things in place to circumvent them so just knowing something doesn't really doesn't really help us but yeah I'm definitely flawed when, when it comes to taking weekends off <laughs> so so basically in that naive and sophisticated we're all slightly useless but in, in different awarenesses some of us feel that we know 
more than others when in fact we're just as useless as everybody else. I think that actually makes us more useless because then it you does. know we actually know it and then we don't put it into action. I think that's the type of useless I very much embody. I'm kind of and it also gives you a kind of anxiety around it because you think I know that this is the wrong thing to be doing and yet I'm doing it when it comes to taking time off when it comes to putting too much work on my plate I I know in the moment I'm very very aware do I stop no and that part that you said last is the part that I'm still figuring out so it's about putting too much work on your plate so figuring out what are the things that you absolutely should do and what are the things that you should say no to that I I think I think when I crack that I will have my weekends back Great. So that would be my, gonna, that'll maybe, be my second book, how to say no and then in brackets stick to it. Take weekends. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so so maybe we could put in place for you, you know, twenty twenty two, the year of weekends. Yes. How do we feel about that? I would love it. Okay. I might get in contact with you on January the 1st and uh, I, enforce that. I will warn you, though, if you get to know me, that I think that my future self is going to be much better than my current yes. self. Always. I think that's something we we all think, though. Is is there a way that you kind of combat that? Or is do you think that that's just a, something that we all kind of have to exist with? I think it's structures and committing committing to structures. So, I mean, I'm really good with my morning routine. I'm really good with my evening routine. So that I, I, I don't start the day by checking emails and kind of getting into pointless things. I really do my, my most difficult things in the in, in the morning and I think those things those things are very very helpful um so what are your hard and fast kind of morning rules then so in the morning I have no email so I don't check emails mm-hmm. at all I get up I have a breakfast and then I go for a walk and then I'll start doing whatever I've prioritized for that day um so depending on the day I might be up at six or I might be up at eight or I might be up at ten um, depending on what I have to do. But it's really about getting that one thing done that I don't want to leave the day the day without. That eat the frog thing. It is eat the frog. It is, yeah. I, and I, I, yeah. I, for me, that works. I met somebody recently who says it has to be in the middle of the day. For them, so they like to do easy things first, then the hard part. And then, oh, interesting. And, I, and I, I can see how that could work as well. Yeah, I think for the eat the frog thing, I think I should warm up with other things. But I know actually in my, in my heart of hearts that actually the best thing to do is just to get it out of the way because I don't need that much of a warm up. That's just another form of procrastination for me. And is your frog like the big things that will really move you forward? Or is it like really horrible things that you just hate doing? Um, I think for me, it's the things that will actually move me forward. I try and think of the frog as like the hard things, but that are in line with my short, medium, long-term goals. So it will be, you know, it's not that like writing up something that I is just always a chore for me. It's actually doing that thing that I know I just need to get done. And once I've got that done, that's already kind of an efficient day. Yeah, I, I, I think that's I think that's the right way to think about the big thing. What's one thing that I want to do today that will actually improve my life in the future? Rather than what are, yeah. the, what are the things that other people have told me that I have to do today, which is often, yeah. often where folk end up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, I'm pleased that we've ended up talking about work in the middle of our self-care section. I think it goes to show a lot for us. Um, but I'm going to take it back to self-care um, yes. for the good of both of us. So so what does self-care look like for you? And can you give, any, give me an, an example of an ideal 10 out of 10 self-care situation? I mean, going to the spa for a half a day has to be for me a 10 out of 10 self-care situation because you're switched off oh, great. and you're also having, you know, a really, a really nice time. So that that's absolutely what I would choose. I mean, when we were able to fly, I would love to go away for like really short breaks, which are the ultimate mm. recharging, see something um, that I hadn't seen before. And again, again, really switch off. And I think the key to me really when it comes to self-care is that switching off moment. Um, yeah. and, and really electronics have no place when I'm, when I'm enjoying self-care. 
So, so if we take that in a way that's COVID friendly and and budget friendly as well, creating that kind of space where it's disconnected. So from from internet, from you know maybe a change of scenery, even at the local if that's that's kind of the local park or wherever you can drive to or whatever. Um, would you would you say that's sort of it? So the kind of unplugged change of scenery, um, that type of situation. Yeah, and I mean, one of the questions you asked me in the beginning was Netflix or reading. And I think both work for me, actually, if I want to recharge. Again, turning off all electronics, choosing something to watch on Netflix or choosing a book, a fiction book that I can kind of get observed in somebody else's story. Um, very budget friendly and very time friendly as well. So you can do that for one hour, two hours without messing up your entire week. Okay, and then and then within that, what do you find hard le- hardest about balancing work and personal life? I think the problem is that when you find a job that you really like, it just spills over into your personal life. So it's very hard. You know, I can turn off electronics. It's very hard for me to stop a problem worming in my brain. Um, And I think, you know, what and, and, you know, the two sections of your book are really interesting because, of course, when you find your passion, you're at the biggest danger of burnout. So, you know, people burn out more when they're working hard at something they love than when they're working hard at something that they dislike. Um, And I think that that's that that's the tricky balance that I have to have um, at the moment is really figuring out a way to make sure that I really do tune out work, even when I'm having those self-care, those self-care moments. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, a, it's a really a blessing and a curse, isn't it? Because, you know, it's fantastic to enjoy that, but it does have a way of taking over everything you do. Um, and then I guess within that as well, our, our views of hard work as a, um, you know, the way we look at it is, is a lot of work and not a lot of rest. Do you think we have a kind of warped view of what hard work looks like in, in regards to our treatment of rest? Do you think that people think you never sleep, for example, or, you know, when you're doing this, that and the other, it's all about work, work, work and not taking, I mean, I mean you've said you've said you don't take weekends, so, so maybe not for you. Um, but in general, do you think we have this kind of warped view of kind of productivity versus rest? Absolutely. So, I mean, I think I think the first thing is I think sleep is very personal and you should you should know how many hours sleep that you need in order to be fully recharged. So for me, it's seven. So when I get seven hours sleep, I'm absolutely I'm absolutely fine. Anything less than that, I'm not. And anything more than that it doesn't really give me anything extra. And I think knowing that about yourself is, is, is really, really important. But I think the idea that we have to be working 24 hours a day in order to be productive makes absolutely no sense. You know, if you really want to kind of shape your future, spending your time, concentrated time on one or two things that can rock the boat is going to pay much more dividends. And I think the hard part for people, including myself, is figuring out what those things are. When there's so much information overload, there's so many demands in our time. What should I be doing today that's really going to serve me in the future becomes a hard question to answer. But I would encourage people to think about that question um, and not be like me, actually. Take weekends, you know, and not... because <laughs> Advice the, from Dr. Grace Lorden, do not be like me. Do not me. be like me. There, but the reason I'm in this trap is exactly for the conundrum that I'm kind of bringing up is that, you know, there's so many things that we could be doing um, at any one time. It's really exciting. But I, I think the, the, the skill is identifying the couple of things that will really move us yeah, forward. Yeah, no, Absolutely. I'd like to finish with three tips that you, not tips, okay, no, we're not going to do tips. I want you to share with us three things that you want to work on in terms of your relationship with work over the next three three years. No, three tips over the next one year. 
I think firstly is saying no more often. So doing less, but more quality things. Um, the second has to be weekends. Now that I've we've spoken about it in the podcast, the second has to has to be weekends. And I will confess that when you asked me, I was tempted to say that I do take weekends. Um, I, know, I, it's, I think it's, it's lovely really, to appear that way, isn't it's it? It's <laughs> really it's really out of fashion, but it's 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 a really bad habit. Um, and I think the third then is to really just move forward the inclusion initiative in a way that's really good for society. Um, and figuring out how to make it bigger without kind of making, you know, sacrificing some of the things that we've built is the next challenge. Yeah, there. absolutely. So so where can people find you and, and what if they're going to pick something up? I'd recommend the book. Um, what should what should they pick up? Yeah. So, I mean, my website is gracelorden.com and my book is Think Big. And in Think Big, there's really lots of different insights to allow you to shape your future. And it all goes but the idea that everybody is different. So there's a real encouragement to experiment on yourself, which I'm hoping that people will find fun. Uh, but do check out my website. And there's also lots of resources for the book there if, if you decide not to pick yeah, it up. Yeah, well, one thing I loved about the book as well, as soon as I picked it up and I looked inside, I could just see how kind of actionable and accessible it was it wasn't one of those things that just looks like a huge block of text that you think like oh fuck <laughs> in order to work out my career I'm gonna have to like um you know get like plow through all of this it, it's just set up in a way that it's digestible um and that's what I think is you know so important when it comes to making making things like this accessible and I think that reaction that you had, you would have had if the first draft had come out. So for people who are listening, it shows that you can learn in a very short period of time how to write a book, which is quite interesting. <laughs> Great. Oh, well, thank you so much for your time. It's been fantastic to talk to you. Um, and I've really enjoyed getting to know more about your working habits um, and especially the inclusion initiative and what you're doing there. I think it is really, really fantastic. Thanks, Grace. It's been an absolute pleasure. Lovely speaking to you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Working Hard, Hardly Working. I have been Grace Beverly and you can find me at Grace Beverly, L-E-Y, remember that one, on Instagram and on LinkedIn if you are that way inclined. Please, after listening to this episode, it really, really helps if you can leave a review, particularly on Apple Podcasts. That seems to be the best way to help out a podcast at the moment. But please like the episode, subscribe, share it, tag me, tag your friends do whatever you want to do, but spread the word and let me know what you'd like to see next on any of my social platforms. Just get in touch. I'd love to talk about some more interesting things. So shoot your suggestions my way and I will see you next time. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.